Well, good morning or good evening, depending on if you're watching this first or second or third service. Um, but uh, I am again in quarantine. Uh, I will tell you that I did take a COVID test. I am negative. But because I was around uh, some folks uh, that tested positive, I've been asked to quarantine for 14 days. That quarantine will end this week, so I'll be back Sunday. Uh, but just continuing to try to be diligent in the things that I do. And hopefully you guys are doing the same as well. Uh, being wise about your uh, decisions, keep your hands clean, cough into your sleeve, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but uh, we are going to be in Matthew again today, Matthew chapter 15. Uh, and hopefully you're starting to get the gist of this book at this point, uh, that we are looking specifically for those things that are a fulfillment of uh, the Old Testament prophecies. And so we're seeing time and time again in the Gospel of Matthew's times, it will say, this is to fulfill. Uh, what is interesting, I think, a couple of interesting things before we get into chapter 15 is uh, first that uh, we're seeing that many times it's not the things that Jesus did that were a fulfillment. It's the things that the crowds did that were a fulfillment. The people around Jesus, as those things happened, they became a fulfillment of the things of Jesus Christ, a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And we'll see that today, uh, that uh, Jesus will talk about the Pharisees and the scribes and the people, and he'll quote some Old Testament prophecies in there uh, to show that they are fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies about the same time. So it's not just that Jesus was the fulfillment. Uh, in addition to that, we'll just see that this was the right time to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. Now, last week, we're going to follow on with what we saw. Last week, we looked beyond just those fulfillments and started to see the motivation behind the things that Jesus did. Most, most of the time, Jesus was motivated by compassion or by love. It's the ultimate motivation. It's the heart of things that Jesus was concerned about. And we saw that as he began to heal the crowds in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. He saw a large crowd. He felt compassion for them and healed their sick. It's that motivation that we don't often see uh, that is important important for us to recognize that that's part of the reason Jesus did the things that he did. So when we pick it up in chapter 15 today, we want to look at that motivation and, and see how it is that Jesus, first of all, uses that heart motivation to discuss the things of Scripture uh, with the Pharisees and the scribes and the crowd and the disciples, uh, but then also again how he's going to be once again moved with compassion to heal people and to feed people. So we'll pick it up here uh, with a question uh, for you to consider while we're getting ready to work through this. The question that I would have for you personally then is to look at the things that you do by tradition or by ritual in your faith and ask the question if there's any of those that you're holding on too tightly to, that the tradition has become more important than the actual point. Uh, maybe another way to look at this would be to say if your friends or your family would accuse you of holding on to tradition above scripture, what would those areas of accusation come in? So maybe looking into those things. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and start reading it here to you. Um, we want to remember Jesus was in the area of Gennesaret when we left last time. So he's along uh, the Sea of Galilee there. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1 tells us, Then some scribes and Pharisees uh, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have, 
that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. When we start here in verse 1, it tells us that the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And so we're seeing now them make this long journey to Jerusalem, or or from Jerusalem to where Jesus is, somewhere around the Sea of Galilee. It uh, seems to be he's in this area called Gennesaret. Uh, But uh, just to keep in mind that they had already determined in their hearts that they were going to destroy Jesus. We saw that in earlier chapters. They want to destroy him. They want to destroy his ministry. And in this case, so much so that they're willing to travel uh, somewhere around 90, 100 miles to get from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, That's a, a, a big task back then. It wasn't like they could just hop in their car and get there in a few minutes. Uh, That was a long journey. It was a difficult journey. It was not going to be easy for them. But they saw it uh, as uh, a drive within them that they had to go confront Jesus where he was once again ministering. And so he's withdrawn from the Pharisees, but they've now followed him uh, to where he is. So they start off with an accusation in verse 2. And the accusation is about Jesus' disciples. They're looking at Jesus' disciples and trying to use the actions of them to accuse him, a tact that is still used today by many people who uh, struggle with Christianity or who are angry at God or who disagree with us, uh, that they'll attack our actions and then blame God for them. So they'll see the things that we do and they'll use those things as an attack against God. Uh, But the particular accusation here is the question of why uh, the disciples were not washing their hands when they ate bread. And this is not talking about the hand washing that we're used to. It's not about, you know, washing your hands before a meal in order to prevent the spread of disease, which is very important. We understand today we're in COVID world right now. We get the importance of washing our hands for health reasons. Uh, This is a ritualistic cleansing. This is something they were doing just to give the appearance of being holy. And so they were taking uh, likely some of the Old Testament laws that were uh, designed for the priests that were involved in these sacrifices that they were doing. And they had to do some ritualistic washing to show themselves to be holy, to show themselves to be clean. But uh, the Pharisees were taking that beyond what was required in the law and trying to apply it to other people. This is not a law, and as it says in this passage, uh, these are traditions of the elders. These are not the things of the law. So they're using this now, uh, not the law of God, but the traditions to accuse the disciples of not ritualistically washing their hands. And the ritual had become so insane uh, that they had to pour a certain amount of water over the front of their hand and the back of their hand. And they had to do this before their meal. They had to do it after their meal. And if they had multiple courses, they had to do it in between every single course. And what they were saying is, we're holy, and so because we're holy, we're not going to be defiled in our process of eating. It was this whole strange picture that they had there. Uh, And in their minds, uh, potentially they were doing this to honor God, but as soon as they applied them to other people, it became dishonoring. Uh, And this is the thing with traditions. We can have traditions that help us live more holy, but when those traditions then get applied to other people is when it becomes legalism. It's going beyond the word of God. My, my favorite example I've used before, I'm going to continue to use it, is the speed limit. The speed limit is 
whatever it is, and let's say the speed limit's 45 miles an hour. Now my tradition, because I'm a little bit of a legalist when it comes to driving, I'm a pretty good driver, I don't have tickets or things like that on my record, um, uh, I drive the speed limit. And to make sure that I drive the speed limit, even when I'm in town, I will often use my cruise control. In fact, every day I use my cruise control. It's just something I've always done. And it allows me to kind of maintain an even speed and not be uh, excessively speeding. And so I can just set that cruise control and let my car do the work to make sure I'm not going too fast. And it um, works for me. But where it becomes an issue is when I start to apply it to other people. So let's say I was riding in your car and I noticed that you weren't using your cruise control to make sure that you were going the speed limit. This is where it becomes a problem. As long as you're still going the speed limit, it doesn't matter how you get to that place. If you're one who can just control it by paying attention, control it by paying attention. That's allowed. But because I would then be judging you saying, well, the best way to do this is to use your cruise control. It's a tradition that I've come up with that served me well. If I judge you based on that, that's where I've sinned. And that's what the problem is here with the Pharisees. They're judging the disciples not based on the Word of God, but based on their own traditions that they created around the Word of God. Well, Jesus is not going to put up with this. It's interesting. He doesn't even answer the question here in his first discussion with the Pharisees and with the scribes. In fact, uh, he actually just turns it back on them. He says, who cares about setting aside traditions? Why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he goes on to quote uh, both from the Ten Commandments and other laws in the book of Exodus, uh, the idea that you need to honor your father and mother. And he's, he's essentially saying, you guys are breaking this commandment and you're doing it for the sake of tradition. You're allowing your tradition to be used to break these commandments. So here's what they were doing. Uh, they would then say, okay, we're supposed to honor our father and mother, but let's Let's say my father and mother had a financial need. Well, I don't really want to meet that need. Instead, what I'll do is I'll just say, everything that I own belongs to God. And so that's used. It's set aside. It's holy for him. And because it belongs to God, well, mom, I can't buy your medicine. I can't buy your groceries because I've, I've signed all of my belongings to God. Everything that I have belongs to him. And it would be wrong for me to take from God, to steal from God, to provide for you, mom, or to provide for you, dad. And that's how twisted they had made this in, in their minds. Uh, Jesus says by doing this, they invalidate the word of God. He calls them hypocrites. And then he goes on to quote the book of Isaiah at them as an accusation against them. Uh, this is out of Isaiah 29, verse 13. Uh, but what he says here in verses 8 and 9 of our passage, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And it really gets down to the issue, the heart of the issue. And what he's saying in verse 8, it's their heart that's far from them. They might say the right things. They might even sometimes do the right things. But the reality is it doesn't represent what's really going on in their heart. And this will kind of be bookended. It's the heart that moves people to action. And this piece is going to be bookended at the end of this chapter. At the end of chapter 15, you're going to see what's going to move Jesus in verse 32. He's going to feel compassion for the people. And that's really what he wants. These Pharisees... Their first indication was not a love towards God or a love towards God's people. It was accusation. Why do your disciples do this? It's an accusation. It's the overflow of what's really in their heart. And what really isn't in their heart 
uh, is love for God or for his people. If that had been there, uh, their first response would not have been to bring accusation against the disciples. What is interesting, he's quoting Isaiah 29, and I don't always do this, but I want to actually go back and look at that uh, section there in Isaiah 29, because uh, where Jesus cuts it off is just a little short of where I would have liked to cut it off, because the very next piece there uh, is actually pretty good as well. So Isaiah chapter 29. And in verse 13, it says, uh, uh, The Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts from me. Their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Uh, traditions of practice. That's what it comes down to. All their reverence really was, was tradition. It wasn't a real love for the things of God. It wasn't really something that God had wanted from them. Instead, they just got in the habit of doing God-like things, which sounds good, but separated from a heart for God actually is worthless. And God gets to the point where he says, I'm just, I'm sick of your habits, even if they're good habits, if they don't represent an actual love for him. So that's really going to be the issue that we're going to be dealing with as we go through this. Now, here's what's crazy about this. So we've, we've got this confrontation going on. It's between Jesus and the scribes, right? Uh, and the Pharisees. And so he's got the religious leaders there. Uh, but what Jesus does next then is he then pulls in the crowd. Listen to this. Uh, after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. So he makes this public. The Pharisees up to this point had been uh, constantly coming after Jesus in public, and now he's going to respond to them very publicly. So what may have been a private conversation on the side in this moment, Jesus actually draws the crowd, says, hey, everybody come here. I've got to tell you this. I need you to hear what I'm about to say to these guys. But I need you to understand, it's not what enters your mouth that defiles you. And when it says defiles, it's talking in a spiritual defilement. Certainly physically, there are things that are unhealthy to eat. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about it's not what you eat that defiles you, that makes you unholy. It's not what you eat that makes you unworthy of the things of God. It's actually not what goes into your mouth, but the things that often defile you are the things that come out of your mouth. And what was coming out of the mouth of the Pharisees? Lies and uh, slander and attacks in the questioning of these disciples. That's what was really coming out of them. Accusations and uh, things of those like. So that was the issue that he was having. Now James is going to pick up on this teaching in the book of James chapter 3. You can spend a little bit of time there. I'm not going to do that for you. But James chapter 3, he spends quite a bit of time just talking about the danger of the mouth and the tongue and how it really does cause uh, quite a bit of problems. So what we can often then use though with this concept is to recognize that the evidence of our heart is often revealed in our mouth. It doesn't always work that way, but it often is that way. There are certainly people that have gotten so good at lying that you can't even tell anymore uh, whether they actually believe the things that they're saying. But in general, 
What you will recognize if you have anger flowing out of your mouth, that's because it's anger that's in your heart. But if everything that flows out of your mouth is love or peace, it's because that's what's in your heart. Uh, again, I used this example last week. Uh, what happens to a cup full of water when it gets bumped? Water comes out of it. What happens to a cup of poison when it gets bumped? poison comes out of it. Well, what happens to us when we get bumped? Whatever's in our heart is what flows out of our mouth. And that's kind of the reality. And so if you find yourself, uh, uh, if, if you find yourself when you get angry or you get anxiety and you find cursing coming out of your mouth, that cursing is coming from what's going on in your heart. And there's some real concerns there that need to be addressed for you personally. So Jesus is going to take it further than that, though. He's met with the Pharisees one-on-one. -on -one. He then draws the crowd in. And now the disciples try to get with Jesus separately. So now we're going to kind of move away from the crowd. And the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Well, the disciples are going to pull Jesus aside and they're like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you get this, but the things you just said to the Pharisees were very offensive to them. They were offended by this. Well, Jesus basically says, I don't really care. And he gives a reason. And that is, they don't belong to my Father in heaven. He says it like this, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. And so he has no problem here uprooting the Pharisees. He says it's time to get rid of them. They're not here sent by God, which is important. Jesus is going to make a statement later in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, he's basically going to say of the Pharisees that they have seated themselves in the seat of Moses. Now, Moses was known as the mediator between God and man. He was the one that spoke on behalf of the people to God and spoke on the behalf of God to the people. He was a image of Jesus Christ. He was a symbol of the things that were going to come. He was a foreshadowing of who Jesus was. And now here's Jesus that's his position to be the mediator between God and man, to be the one that speaks to the people for God and speaks to God for the people. But the Pharisees have tried to claim that position. They've tried to say that they're the ones who mediate between God and man. And if you want to know more about God, you come to us and we'll tell you about it. And if, if God wants to know what's going on in your world, well, then certainly we can ask him to tell us those things and we'll let you know. But that's all messed up in the way that Jesus sees this. He sees these people as usurpers, that they should not be uh, involved in the things uh, that they're involved in. So let me just figure out, mute whatever I just did right there, because that was loud. All right, so now we have this situation then where Jesus explains that the Pharisees are basically just blind guides. 
They're just blind guides. They're, they're not being directed by God or the Holy Spirit. They are blind guides doing whatever it is uh, that they want. They're just kind of out there walking around with no real clear direction from God. And the end result of that is that they're going to be able to lead people into danger. That's the concern that Jesus has because they're blind guides. They have nothing to guide people with. Well, Peter then says, well, okay, maybe you should explain the parable to us. Now, I wasn't aware that there was a parable spoken here, but uh, certainly uh, they thought there was a parable here. I thought Jesus was being pretty clear in the things, uh, but Jesus understands what he's talking about. It's going back to this thing that he told to the crowd. It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Jesus understands that's the question Jesus or that uh, Peter has, uh, but Jesus says this: Are you still lacking in understanding? Also, do you not understand? Do you not understand, Peter? It's like, come on, surely you should understand this. It's not that complicated. But he goes on to explain it to him. He says, Do you understand that, or do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach, and is eliminated. Now he's giving a very simple biological truth there. Everybody understands what goes in must come out, right? There's an elimination process. We don't need to get into what that elimination process is. You can figure that out there. Uh, but Jesus is just saying, this is the way it works. You take things in and they're eliminated out of your body. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile. And then he makes a list. These are the things that I'm seeing coming out of the heart of people. I'm not seeing the things I want to see. I'm seeing these other things come out of the hearts of the people. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slander. You see kind of how this is building up. Uh, what's interesting in this, in my mind, the, filthy, the, the Pharisees were guilty of quite a few of these things. Certainly they had evil thoughts about Jesus. Uh, certainly they had been planning to destroy him, so likely planning to ultimately end up in murdering him, which is what will happen, right? Uh, there is some indication that they might have been involved in adultery, although likely spiritual adultery at the very least. Uh, fornication goes beyond that. Theft goes beyond that. Um, false witness and slander, lying about Jesus. So here you're seeing these things coming out of their mouth. It's an evidence because those things are what's in their heart. Those guys are defiled by the things that were in their heart. But it's true for all of us as well, that we have to examine the motives behind the things that we do. And we recognize from that, that it's those things that come out of our heart that make us unholy. Those are the things we have to work on. Those are the things we have to change. We have to uh, go to our Father in heaven and ask him to forgive us of those things. But we also have to try to conform ourselves to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we spend so much time in the word, because if we study the word, it becomes alive to us. But it also changes who we are. I like to say it reprograms my brain to think like God. It reprograms my heart to act with the heart of God. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put on the mind of Christ. Well, the next section seems unconnected, but the way I like to look at a situation like this is, do we now have an example 
that maybe Jesus is showing. So we have the teaching, the overflow of the heart. Well, let's look for that in the next couple of things that happens. We're going to see a healing, and then we're going to see a feeding of people. Uh, let's see if in those actions we can recognize the things that Jesus has been talking about. So, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. So this is actually quite a distance away, maybe 35, 40, maybe even 50 miles away. Jesus is at the uh, sea right now. He's at the Mediterranean Sea. I'm sorry, he's at the Sea of Galilee. He's now going to go across to the east, uh, to the west. I'm sorry, he's going to go across the, the wilderness to the west to get to the Mediterranean Sea. So he's going from the Sea of Galilee to the Mediterranean Sea. And when he gets there, uh, he's going to be at the cities of Tyre and Sidon. And then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And your daughter was, and her daughter was healed at once. So the scenario here is a little bit interesting for a number of reasons. The first is that he's going to run across this woman who's looking for healing. But it's interesting because she's a Canaanite. Now, the Canaanites were kind of the enemies of the people of the nation of Israel. Uh, you would see them constantly throughout the Old Testament going after the people of Israel. And constantly in the Old Testament, you would see God warning the people against the Canaanites. He even said, uh, don't allow your children to intermarry with the Canaanites. Uh, at one point when they're beginning to conquer the land, Jesus says, I want you to get all the Canaanites out of the land. And I'll help you. I'll help you do this. Let's get all the Canaanites out of the land. This is what God's plan was for them. Now you'll find that uh, part of the reason God was unhappy with the Canaanites because they were constantly involved in worshiping other gods. And that's the big issue. Jesus didn't want those other gods to be brought into and be with uh, the people uh, that he was trying to raise up to be holy. But this woman who's a Canaanite now begins to follow Jesus around and she's crying out. And I love what she says here. Have mercy on me, Lord. So she puts him in a position of authority. But then second, she says, son of David, which is a messianic title. So I don't know if she just picked that up from the teaching of Jesus or if she really recognizes him as the Messiah of the Old Testament that the Jews were waiting for. Surely she had heard of this teaching, uh, but now she's actually identifying him in that way. And this was something that the Jews weren't even ready to do yet. This is something that the disciples struggled with. This is something the Pharisees, the religious leaders didn't want anything to do with, but she's already already identifying him as the son of David, as the, the one who receives the promises of David to rule over Israel forever, to be the king of Israel. She's recognizing him as that in this moment. So it's pretty profound. But the situation that she has is her daughter is, as she says, cruelly demon-possessed. So not just kind of demon-possessed, she's 
cruelly demon-possessed. It's a terrible situation for her daughter, and she's a mom who just wants to see her daughter healed. That's what she really, really wants. So met with this situation, let's see how the disciples respond, how Jesus responds, to see if we can recognize what's going on here. Well, the first thing that happens is uh, he doesn't answer her a word. Now, I have an opinion in this. My opinion is that he was intending to see how the disciples responded. Uh, and as we're going to play through this scenario, I believe what Jesus is doing is he first wants to see how the disciples respond, but then he's going to allow this woman's question and answer back and forth with him to lead the disciples to the place that they should have already been. Uh, I think he already knows what he intends to do. I don't think he's surprised in this moment. Like he did not see this coming. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't think he's confused. I think he is who he says he is. And because he is who he says he is, even this has a purpose. So she then is just kind of begging, crying out as any mom would, who had a daughter who was cruelly demon possessed, just crying out for anybody to help. He doesn't answer her, but the disciples finally come to him, and it says they implored him or begged him, saying, send her away. Why? Because she keeps shouting at us. Basically, their response is, Jesus, can you get rid of this annoying woman for us? Now, what did we learn before? What comes out of the mouth reveals what's in the heart. These guys don't quite love their neighbor yet. These guys don't quite understand what it is that Jesus is teaching. We'll see more evidence as that goes forward in this passage. Uh, but just recognize this. They had to know that Jesus had the power to do this. He's been doing it over and over and over again. He's healed many people uh, over and over and over again. Thousands of people have been healed by Jesus. They know he can do this. They know he can cast out demons. And they didn't come to him and say, Jesus cast out this demon so we can be done with her. Jesus have compassion on her and cast out this demon. They basically said, could you send her away and shut her up because she's annoying? That represents the heart of the people. A heart, by the way, I have to watch for in myself. Sometimes I find myself with people who just get to be a little bit too much. And I've had to practice the things that I see in the Word. And I oftentimes find myself giving a lot of energy to people that are just flat out annoying. But I do it because I know that my God loves them. I know that he loves them. And I know that he can see better for them than this moment of annoyance. And I see it in the example here in Scripture. Let's follow it through and see what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't do what they ask him to. He doesn't send them away. But he's going to answer them and say, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and does something powerful. She begins to bow down before him and says again, Lord, that's that title there, Lord, help me. So she's now going to the point of not just being loud, crying for help, but now bowing before him and again begging, Lord, help me. And Jesus answers her and says, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now again, following through, this is my opinion, 
Jesus wasn't shocked by what was happening. Jesus wasn't annoyed by what was happening. Jesus was fully planning to use this circumstance for the purpose of teaching uh, his disciples what it meant to love, to show his disciples something that they had wrong in their thinking that he's about to correct for them. Uh, So that's how I want us to kind of view this. I want us to see it like that. So when Jesus says, and it does, it sounds harsh in the moment, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And this is where Jesus is going to make his point. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Well, the point Jesus is making in front of his disciples is this. It's not your heritage or your traditions that I'm concerned about. It's your faith. And all those who are his faithful people, all those who in faith love him, those are the ones that he's going to pay attention to. Not the ones who just happen to do all the right traditions or not the ones who just happen to have the right genealogy. None of those things are important. What he wants to see is what this woman had. She had faith. And that's what he wants to see from his disciples. And that's what he wants to see from you. He wants to see you act in faith to him. That's the response he's looking for. So another tradition falls by the wayside. And once again, it's a revelation of what's in the heart. It's a revelation of what's in the heart. They couldn't see past who she was to recognize who she was becoming in Jesus Christ. They couldn't see past her heritage to recognize that this was a woman of, as Jesus says, great faith. That's who we want to be. People of great faith who recognize people of great faith. Well, let's continue from there. Uh, Jesus now is going to leave there. He's going to take the 40 plus mile trek back to the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. So he's now back in Galilee, seemingly going back to a place where he could be alone. But large crowds came to him there as well bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid him down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel, which is the proper response. They glorified the God of Israel. And to glorify the God of Israel just means to give him all the praise, all the glory, all the attention. It's to shine the light on him. It's to reflect the light back to him. It's whatever you can do. It's it's bragging about who he is. They're glorifying him because of the marvelous things he's doing. So here he again has this large crowd of people. We recognize, we remember that as Jesus heals people, it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies that he would do just that. But we see it happening again. But what's fascinating about this to me is what happens next in verse 32. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I don't want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves 
in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave to them, gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate, 4,000 men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. So Jesus is on the move again, uh, but he's looking at this crowd. And what we understand is he has now been healing people for three days straight. And these people are just amazed so much they're amazed by everything that he's doing that they've kind of lost all track of time and track of their own personal needs. Imagine them all gathered together there. Uh, we don't know exactly how many people it is, but it seems to be somewhere, a minimum of 4,000, because he's going to feed 4,000 plus women and children. Could be as many as eight, 12,000 people have gathered together at this spot by the sea, these huge crowds all around Jesus there. And they're all hungry now because they've been there for three days. And again, Jesus' motivation becomes clear. I feel compassion for the people. So his motivation is clear again, just like it was in chapter 14. Uh, but again here, well, we're seeing this weird, weird situation. Jesus again asked the disciples, Well, shouldn't we give them something to eat? And the disciples once again say, we don't have any food here. There's no food here. What are we supposed to do? Well, it should be a little bit of deja vu. This is the exact thing that happened last Sunday. What did Jesus do? He took what they had and they multiplied it to feed and to take care of all of the people that were there. In the same way, he's going to do this again. The disciples somehow, uh, either it doesn't cross their mind, or my, more likely they don't uh, want to kind of enforce or instruct Jesus what to do. Uh, but again, met with the same situation, you have to think that they should have grasped this point. They should have caught on, right? They should have understood. They should have had this understanding that Jesus was going to say to them, or as he did say to them, feed them something, they should have known that he had a plan and a purpose to miraculously res respond. And that's one of those things that still kind of baffles me, although I looked at my own life and I thought to myself, there are many times where I can see myself in repeated situations where God has provided in the past and I'm still afraid he won't do it again. So this is where we find ourselves here uh, with Jesus now wanting to feed the crowds. And so again, uh, he gives thanks for the seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. And so we remember that from last week. He gives thanks by looking up to heaven, giving thanks for those things. And then he directs the disciples to give that food to the people. And so he's giving to the disciples who will then give to the people, which by the way, is going to be a great practice for what the rest of their life looks like. As he gives them the word of God, they're going to distribute it to all the people in the same way that he's feeding them food here. He's going to feed them with the food of the word in the future through the disciples. It's a great illustration for us as well. The things that God has given me in his word, I give to you in hopes that you will give it to other people. 
that you can also feed the world with the Word of God, that you can take the things you've learned here and minister to your own friends, to your own family. And in doing so, the ministry that we do at this church will be multiplied way beyond anything that happens in this building, way beyond anything that happens in the church building. It'll all be the ministry of the Word that you received imparted into the life of the people around you. And again, at the end, uh, we see here that he fed again 4,000 men, women, and children as well in addition to that. So 4,000 plus. And there was leftovers, in this case, seven large baskets full of leftover food. So again, they've been provided for. Now Jesus will go away to a new region. We'll pick it up there in chapter 16, when once again, the Pharisees are going to try to test Jesus. This is going to be an ongoing confrontation. Well, at the beginning, I asked this question. What are the traditions that people would hold uh, over your head? They would say that you were accused of holding onto traditions above scriptures. And maybe the Spirit revealed some of those to you today. Uh, if, if so, then my prayer, my hope, uh, would be that you would repent of those things and begin to walk in the way that God had asked you to. Uh, beyond that, though, I want us to get in the habit of seeing people the way God does. Seeing people beyond their circumstance, their heritage, or even their, their past mistakes, but just seeing people and recognizing that God loves them so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in today's passage, that whosoever just happened to be a Canaanite, somebody that the, the Jews called a dog. Well, who are the Canaanites in your world that Jesus loved? Or maybe you're one of those Canaanites. Maybe you see yourself as a dog. Maybe you see yourself as one that God can't love. Let me tell you, he loves you today. He absolutely does. He loves you. Respond to him in faith, and he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word, and we pray that your word would do its work in the life of believers. Lord, we thank you for those that are in the room today and those that are going to watch online. And we would pray uh, that this would become for them a moment of decision, that your spirit would guide and direct them to become more like their Savior, Jesus Christ, more like your son. Oh, Father, for those who aren't believers, that they would hear this and they would recognize that regardless of their state or their circumstances, they're loved by you. And today would be a day that they would receive your love. They would walk towards you in faith. They would receive you as Savior. Oh Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Hope to see you in person next week.